Hey. 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 You are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. text today in verses three through five, and we find out that God wants to know, wants you to know him by daily obedience. Let's read about it in verse three. It says, we know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. And the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know him. We got to keep his, we got to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. Getting love right means daily obedience. And when I say daily obedience, I mean like every day. Every day, because there's going to be something that you're going to need to obey from day to day. Uh, Keeping God's commandments is evidence that you've come to know him. And the fact that John is an old man and he's reciting these words of Jesus that he heard, oh, some 60 years before, that he's wanting to teach us with that. Here's the deal. As much as he tried to shake those words off of him, he couldn't shake them off of him. They just kept resounding in his spirit. And neither should we. Jesus' teaching is not something to read and then forget and then go on your way. His teaching should burn into your very being. And so it shapes how you think and how you live the rest of your life. The word keeping his commandments is the same word that's used for a sentry who walks his post. It implies that the enemy is attempting to invade the domain and the life with temptations that will destroy you, and you're going to do everything in your power to keep them away. And so you're going to diligently obey the commands that Jesus has given. A faithful sentry is not laid back. He's alert and diligent and watching all the time, always paying attention to what's next. But let's go on and find out how we can continue to love right by looking at verse 6. We find out that it, when we do, it, it, it shows when you walk as Jesus walked. Look what it says in verse 6. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is where Drew's kind of talking about it. It's like, I don't think I can walk as Jesus walked. I don't think it's completely possible. And so I think, this is what I think. I think sometimes the world looks at this, and even us, we look at it and go, I can't walk like Jesus walked, so I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to do it. Because I just know it's not possible. But I want you to know that we're called to try to the best of our ability to walk like Jesus walked. And living is walking, and walking is living, and walking is a sure movement of of one direction. It implies progress toward a goal that we're all headed toward. A walk is made up of a lot of steps, and to walk as Jesus walked means that your life should be characterized by daily dependence on him, submission to him, and obedience to him. And your overall aim in life should be to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to try to please him with our thoughts and our words and our deeds to the best of our ability. And while we never perfectly walked as Jesus walked, it should be a constant aim and effort for us to do so. And John equates him, equates being in him with living or abiding or remaining in him. The term abiding comes back to the upper room when Jesus' words were saying to to his disciples in John 15, verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit or itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. 
Walk like Jesus walked. Do what Jesus did. And this walking and acting in real love, which is right living. In verse 7 and 8, we find out that we need to love by living with a new distinguishing mark of brotherly love. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have you've had since the very beginning. This old commandment is the message that you've heard. And yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and true light is already shining. There's a distinguishing mark for all of us and that is to love like brotherly love. I can tell you how invigorating it is to come on a Sunday and see cookies being hauled in, soup being dropped off, and money being given for for breakfast downstairs, and uh, seeing CIY as the mission of the month. There were so many opportunities, again, for us to demonstrate the love of God, and I I, I tell everybody in two weeks when we're going, we're not going this next weekend, the cookies are here now, we take our cookies in next weekend, and then the following weekend, we're all going inside. But all that said, what we're doing in advance of this, you're going into prison, and you're demonstrating love. And when we go to the training that we've been doing here for the last eight weeks, which I love because it's such an opportunity. It's why I love taking new people because every new person that's coming gets to hear and watch this training happen. It's some of the simplest training ever. And every, when you get it done with it on Friday, I just said it to some of the guys in the van on the way home. This is what all of us are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to do this all the time. And so they give us four instructions. This is what, believe it or not, for eight weeks, we're going to get trained to do this. And we hear it over and over and again. I'm going to tell you the four simple things. I say simple, but I'm reminding you because they're not. Here's our four simple things we're supposed to do. You ready? Love, love, listen, listen. Now, if you take those words to heart, you kind of go, why did you have to say those things twice? Like I was right here. I heard what you said the first time. It's kind of like this. I don't want you to say love. I want you to do love. I don't want you to say that you're listening. I want you to really listen. Because these men have never been loved. And quite frankly, have never been heard. And all we're going to do for an entire weekend is to love them genuinely and listen to them often. And what a world we would have if we all did that distinguishing mark of every brother and sister in Christ. That God is love and they need to see people, love people, especially folks who belong to God's family, who help to have it. And here's the deal. This distinguishing brotherly love, I just have to say it. Is it always easy to love people? No. Anybody but me say amen. It's just hard to love. There's a certain people like it's just really difficult to love them. I know, but we're still called to do it. Extra grace required for some of those folks, right? Verses 9 through 11 kind of finish off this great love and the way that we can love right. In verses 9 through 11, it says it this way. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. We don't stumble because of the hatred any longer. Because we're now in the light. And when we find ourselves in the light, we find ourselves loving people better. These people are in the darkness, and the ones who hate their brother or sister, they walk in darkness. Isn't it interesting he used the word walk again when he just told us to walk like Jesus? Now he said some of us are walking in darkness. i got to tell you something that's been happening to me as I've been getting older. I turn the lights on a lot more. 
Like nobody told me to do it. There wasn't any rule. Nothing came by and say, hey, turn your lights on more. But here's what I'm finding. I start to read my Bible or I'm doing something. I may be in the sunroom. I was like, man, I cannot see this. It's still, it's still light out and I can't see this. I'm flipping all kinds of light. Like spotlights are on my page. I find myself turning lights on in hallways. Why? Because I'm falling over stuff that's not even there. Like imaginary things were on the floor. What'd you fall over? I don't know. It's just, something was there. What was it? I don't know. It's not there anymore. But I'm turning lights on all over the place. Why don't we have a light down on this hallway? Why are we putting the glow stick thing going all the way down the hallway so we're not tripping over something stupid? I don't have any Legos to step on anymore, and I'm still falling on things. Why? Because I'm in the darkness. And I tell you, when I get out of the darkness, I can love better because now I can see it. It's exposed to me. And here's the thing I know about light. Light means less stumbling. Light means less injuries. And light means less doctors. Kind of a good thing. Turn some lights on. It's just a little light bulb. We're like, save energy, turn everything off. I don't want to fall around here. It's not a fun thing for me. But let's figure out how we can get love wrong sometimes. Verses two through, um, I'm sorry, 12 through 17 going to help us with that. And at first, you're going to read this first text. You're going to go, nope, it's not true. But here's how we can get love wrong. Listen to 12 through 14. I write you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. There are three levels of a Christian walk that a congregation should be a part of, and when it's not, there's some wrong loving going on. Let me break it down for you best I can. It's all on spiritual maturity. So the first words that he's talking about are the first level of people are children. I'm not talking about little kids. I'm not talking about people in the basement. I'm not talking about people in the, in the, in the youth center. I'm talking about children. He's called us as dear children. And there are people, quite frankly, in this room right now that I would call babes in Christ, elementary children in regards to their faith. They just get the idea that uh, I want this thing that Jesus has, and I know he's forgiven my sin, and it's cool. And they're good with that. They're, that's, they're good with that. They think that's it. But then he, re- he refers to the second group of people, and he refers to them as young men. Don't take this personally. Anybody who like, gets all bent of shape on that. He's speaking to us as all people, all right? Young men, young women who are now fighting in the battle for Christ Jesus. They get, they are past their faith now, and this whole introductory piece, and they're like, man, we've got to do something to arm ourselves, and, and we've got to be at war, and, 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 and people are after us, and we've got to do something about it, and they're fighting with everything they've got in them. This isn't an age thing. It's a maturity thing, okay? And then this last group of people he talks about, this last level of group of people, he talks about his fathers. Again, these are people that are, they have some wisdom underneath them. And they've been generationally part of following after Christ for a long, long time. And they can smile and grin like John does. It's like, oh, you got that all wrong. Let me help you with that. You're, you're so worked up and, you know, God on your side going to be good. And settle us all down. Bring us all back to, to normal again. And here's the thing that could be wrong. Every congregation needs to have all of these happening in them. Churches that are dying right now, they don't have number one. They don't have number one. There's nobody new coming, and there's nobody new learning. And everybody who's here, they're all gifted and armed and ready. We've done it a long time. How come our kids aren't falling after us? Look at you. Look at how you're talking. Let's get them here. 
let's love on them and let, let them know that they can be loved as children here, introduce them to this love of God that we have and help them on their way. But a growing congregation is gonna have all three of these levels. And so wrong kind of living would be to go, you're just here for the young men, arm those guys. You're just here for the fathers, arm those guys. No, we're here to arm every person who's here. And the person who's new to our faith needs to come in here and know that we need to, to be able to, we need all of you. And I've often heard it said that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. May that never be here. May that never be here because that's wrong kind of loving. This is only for me. It's not for anybody else. You've forgotten that you were a child once. That you were a babe in Christ and you didn't get it. And someone ahead of you needed to help you with your walk in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to have to pass this on. The church continues from generation to generation. Another kind of wrong kind of living is stated out loud in verse 15 when we find out the world system isn't, the world system is always going to leave God out. Listen to it in verse 15. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can anybody say ouch to that verse but me? Like this is just not possible. I can't be in this world and not love parts of it because there are certain parts of this world, quite frankly, I love. Like, I really like it. I'll be all day, all day whenever it gets cold outside for me to have a warm fire in a fireplace. All day. Love of warm fire. But still part of this world, right? I'm not saying I can't love a fire, but when I start to allow myself to value the worldly attitudes and the values that are opposed to God more than I'm valuing his, I'm loving the world. And it's referring to this worldly system of rebellion that has set itself up against God. It's this thought pattern and ideas of idols that that the world accepts and promotes as true and good and are totally contrary to who God is and the way he is. And it's so easy for this world to want to have all of the good stuff and leave God completely out of it. We see it in every arena of our life. These are all just things that make us happier. We think we're gonna be better on the other side of it and we're not. I want you to know that Satan has charge of the world. And this is an interesting piece of all the times that John lays out the command to love in the book that we're reading. He, he gives the word love 51 times. And this is the only time in all of it that he reads that it says, do not love this. Do not love this. And so there needs to be a change of focus for us. A focus that is no longer what the world can give you. The love of the Father is in you. And it changes the way you love to the former things that you used to have, the things that will not last. But let's continue on as it reads in verse 16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has, what he does, I'm, I'm sorry, and the boasting of what, I'm sorry, and the boasting of what he had and, and does comes from, not from the Father, but from the world. See, the world distracts believers. It's his job. Its job is to distract us. Satan is trying at his best to allow the world to encompass us with all the things that we think we can't live without and we can't do without. And loving the world and loving the Father are not compatible. They don't go together. And so there's three areas that he actually describes, three areas that this distraction happens. And one of those distractions is in the desire of the flesh. 
These are the desires of our fallen, our sinful nature, the desires in the world that are so driven by the world's ways and the world thinking it's a wrong kind of love. Then he also describes the, de- the desire of the eyes. He refers to the temptations that assault us without our eyes or through our eyes. And our eyes are just an inch long opening in our face and they can cause us so much trouble. They can cause us so much trouble. He's saying that our eyes are drawn to and desire the things that are not good for us. Those are the things in the world and Satan's attacking us. They're like, look at this, look at this. This won't hurt anyone, look at that. It's okay, look over there. Then we have this third one he tells us about and it's the pride of life. Probably better translated pride in possessions. Refers to your boasting of what you have and what you do. We don't look at the things of God for validation. We look at ourselves. We look to our titles and our positions and our possessions and our appearance and our skills to establish us as important. And we believe into this lie that Satan has convinced us of that our value is in our performance. We're scored. We're checked off. We all like to be liked, don't we? We like when people like us. And so we'll do whatever we can to get people to like us. And we've even created like a way in the system of world for us to like you. Check if you like me. Check down below and like me. Because I can get more likes, I get more money, I get more time. We need to know that we are liked. And I want you to know that everything we do in finding the compliments of this world other than God lead us to exhaustion and it suffocates your ability to truly love people. And so I would say we need to change our priorities. Priorities of the world no longer control what you have and what you do. Only Jesus can. So let me just ask you some questions. Just listen to them. You don't have to write them down. There's a lot of questions. Where's your priority this morning? Do you love the world? Or do you love the Lord? And what do you love? And you don't have to answer me. Because in fact, you probably have already given your answer. The truth is, is that your life is already answering the question for you. So do you love Jesus this morning? I mean, really, do you love him enough to abandon everything else? To go his direction instead of yours? Do you love others as he loves you? Where is that love? And is it, the, is it in the wrong place? And what are you willing to do to change it? Those are a lot of good questions. I don't like any of them, but I need to answer them. Look at verse 17 for us. I love this verse. Out of all the texts, if I can say one of my favorite verses along with the first two, verse 17 reads this way for me. The, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And that's a verse of hope for me. Christ's followers see the world as passing away. It's when we get this great part of we start to love the world and it's not a good investment because the world is passing away as much as we try to cling on to it. Isn't it strange how much we want to hold on to the things of this world and none of it is eternal? And John says you shouldn't love the world because the next world is far more important than this one. John's telling us that you need to love what's going to last and so that means that we need to have some changed behavior. The way you behave is walking the talk because it's when you realize that only love and loving people can have eternal consequences. Other things are going to pass away. John says we shouldn't love the world because eternal things are more important than temporal things. And because of all of that, God set in motion the coming of Jesus. The world's days are numbered since he's come. And everything directly opposed to God and his ways are doomed. 
And so there's no future in worldliness. Loving what the world loves is a bad investment because the world has no future. The world lies to us and it says that we're here forever, but it won't be. We're passing through a world that's passing away. And we sung the song before. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Right? And we can amen that here. But when it comes to it, we still like touching it and holding it. Well, how do we go about discerning this love so that we get love right? Choosing and discerning the love that's best and what's necessary, we're going to find in the last parts of our verses here. So let's read in verse 18 through 19 and find out about false teachers that are already here. Verse 18 and 19 says, Dear children, this is the last hour that you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us and they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Just 60 years after John writes this thing, we already find in false teachers in the midst of where they're at. Didn't take very long for them to appear. And just so we're clear, they're still here now. And John describes them in three different ways, and he gives them names, and so I'm going to help you with that. First off, he gives their nature. Their nature is Antichrist, and before we get off on the Antichrist and that discussion of end times, that's not what he's talking about, although he mentions the Antichrist. We're talking about Antichrist. The Antichrist is simply against Christ, okay? No, Jesus. And as the Apostle John records in First and Second John, an Antichrist denies the Father and the Son, and he does not acknowledge Jesus and denies that Jesus came in the flesh, but he also lets us know there's the Antichrist that's coming as well. We'll read about that in his book in Revelation. But then he also identifies not just their nature, but he identifies their number. And here's how he identifies this number. They are many. They are many. And then his third one is their source. This is where it gets real hard for us. Their source is, he says, among us. When I say among us, I at the moment kind of like all glance around, look around like, who in this room could that be? They're among us. And John's letting us know, best advice he can give us, pay attention. Remain focused on his word every day. And John tells us they don't belong. But then we read in verses 20 and 21 some other ways to be able to kind of help us discern. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to help us with the discerning of truth in verse 20 and 21. It says, but you have anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. See, remember the Holy Spirit is a part of your life. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a gift that's been given to you. It's quite frankly, described in Scripture as a gift that gives you daily strength. It, it helps you to do the things that you can't do, like seven people going into prison and talking to a bunch of people who are like tattooed head to toe and don't want to talk to you. How am I going to have the right words to say to them? It ain't going to be your words. It ain't going to be what you're going to say. Again, if you've done what we trained, love, love, listen, listen. That's what you're going to do. You're going to love on them and you're going to listen to them. You're going to make them tell their story. You're not going to tell them yours. You've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. And so many of us aren't using that gift. And John is saying, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because there's no lie in that truth. How many times do I need to hear over and over and over again, I have power and strength that I just don't tap into. The Holy Spirit is on my side. 
Why do I need it so often? Because I need the hope that sometimes a promise that I just needed to hear at the right time came at, right, at the right moment, that I really needed the wise warning from God's word right at the moment that I needed, that I was flirting with something I shouldn't have been flirting with and I needed God's word to reveal that to me. I needed some correction in my attitude. I was a little prideful. I was, I was arrogant and I, I need the word of God to confront me like nothing else can do. He's the only one that can make that happen that way. But then we're going to find that false teachers deny the truth of Jesus. Already kind of spoken this before. We talked about last week. But look at it in verse 22 and 23. He said, who is the liar? Is it the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See, these false teachers were liars. A liar that denied who Jesus was. And when you deny the truth of who Jesus is, I've got to be clear on this. When you deny the truth of who Jesus is, you have no relationship with God the Father. And that's a scary thing to be able to say, but it's a true thing to say. And that's why believing in Jesus is so important because he's the way to the Father. He's the one who confesses, who, who, who confesses the Son. And the one who is believed in and confesses the Son and his Father, we understand a connection But then we move on and we see in verse 24 that there's hope that's always found in the word of God. It says in verse 24, see what you have heard from the very beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the son and in the father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Here's this John, the apostle, writing this letter so many years ago. And I can imagine as this kind of grandpa of faith, he's he's thinking back as he's writing And all of a sudden, the word and promises of God start coming into his mind. And what's really funny is, some of them were his words. He wrote them down. I wonder if he doesn't come back to what we probably call the most famous verse in all of scripture that he wrote down. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And this promise has to be ringing in John's head over and over again. And Jesus himself made that promise and he's the only one that can actually promise that. Why? Because he's the one that has gotten up from the grave. He's the only one that's been able to do that. And we'll sing all the time about the songs about Jesus rising up out of the grave. And we sing about the resurrection all the time because hope is found in the word of God. And it had to be that way for John too, who's reading his own words. Then we find verse 26 and 27 that we need to let the Holy Spirit teach you. Verse 26 and 27 says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as this anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it was taught to you, remain in him You need to lean into this anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's another way to remain steadfast in your face, to sharpen your awareness, to realign your allegiance with Jesus, to lean on the anointing that he does in you that you cannot do. And that anointing comes in verse 27 as he says, he remained in you. It's living in you. It remains in you. It's alive. It's bubbling in you. How do you do that? I like how Rosaria Butterfield said it. And one of the quotes that she had, this is what she says. It's so cool. She said this, indwelling sin is a parasite. Indwelling sin is a parasite. She said it eats what you do. God's word is poison to sin when embraced by the heart, made new by the Holy Spirit. 
You starve indwelling sin by feeding yourself deeply on his word. Sin cannot abide in his word. So fill your hearts and minds with scripture. I love that she told us all of that. Then we go to verse 28 and we find out when you abide in Christ, you'll be so glad to see him. Verse 28 says, and now dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Man, when you abide in Christ, you're going to be so glad to see him. You're going to have confidence in that. You see, the gospel, the Christian gospel is that you don't have to be afraid when God is on your side. The more I became aware of my own sinfulness, the more I became aware of my sin, and the more amazing his grace continues to keep looking to me. It's then that I just find myself dropping to my knees with empty hands lifted up into the sky, and I say, just let me just receive what I can achieve on what I can't achieve on my own. Let me receive from him as a gift what I can't purchase, what I can't demand. You see, he's offering himself to you and to me. And you don't need to worry about that day when you meet up with him face to face. Why? Because your faith is placed in Christ Jesus and you're confident and without shame. Why? Because God, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf so that you may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you say that, there's such powerful stuff that comes from that. You can be confident in knowing who you are. But again, if I could say a third favorite verse, if I'm allowed to say, I'm going off a Drew's thing here. But the last verse for me is a favorite verse as well. If you know that he is righteous, you will know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Here's how I would say it. When you're born of someone, you kind of resemble them. And so I would say you ought to resemble the family of God in how you live. You want to know whether or not you're doing real love or not? If somebody says to you, you know you're looking and acting a lot like your dad right now. I can't think of a better kind of thing that someone would say about my life. That every time I'm around you, I see your father in you. I see how you act, how you behave, how you treat, how you love, how sincere you are with other people. And and when I'm around you, I see our dad. Like you look like part of the family of God. That's such a cool statement to me. And so I want to tell you, as we close here today, this resounding piece of what it is that I think John is saying, that God's love has not forgotten you. God's love has not forgotten you. He's not given up on you. All is not lost. The Antichrist don't win. There's still a chance for hope to be found. And you have to be able to say yes to making a decision about that. And so I'm going to challenge you on the love piece with a little ABC thing that I have for you. Here's what I would call all of us to have to do. Not just new people, not just the new children, every one of us to call to be due. Here's the A. You need to admit that you have sinned and that you need a savior. You need to admit that you've sinned and you need a savior. Recognize that the resurrected king is here and ready to move in into a locked room of your heart and you need to open it up and let him come in and cry out to him and admit you need a savior. Here's the B of our alphabet. Like Thomas, I want to believe. I want to believe that Jesus is Lord and God. And when, when Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe, he says the same to you and me. And I think there's some things, quite frankly, even as I said them today, there's some people doubting it. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So believe. C would be confess. 
that you would confess Jesus to be Christ, the Son of the living God. And you would join Simon Peter in that statement in saying that you know that he is not just Jesus, but he is the Son of God, our champion of faith. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, it says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The D in our alphabet is not baptism, but it includes it. D is to die to self. You got to die to you. To the selfish things that I know that gets in the way of our own sin. And to die to self is an act that happens in baptism where we not only die to self, but then we're raised to new life. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as in Christ we were raised from dead through the glory of God the Father, so that you too might walk in the newness of life. You die to let Jesus baptize and bring you back to life. Life again. And then finally, the E of our alphabet today. Every day, live life for Him. Every day, learn about Him, about your place in the kingdom, and allow God in your life to live out in your story. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 says it this way Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, glorious, gloriously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Every day, living a life, chasing after Jesus. It's just gonna be so much better than chasing after the world. Pass away because this world's passing away. But he will never, ever pass away. You're not forgotten in his love. So our decision today is, yeah, for the new person. But it's for every person in this room, wherever we're at in that spot. We have generation upon generation in regards to our spiritual life right now. And we need all of these generations to help one another through the battle. And every one of us need to say these kinds of things. But I'll be here to receive somebody for the very first time who says, I want that. Let's stand and let's sing how much we worship him. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. 